Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. So for those keeping score, D.C. has presidential impeachments far more often than World Series wins. The lead starts right now. Breaking today, the House of Representatives officially votes to proceed with the impeachment inquiry into President Trump, the historic vote sending the investigation into a whole new phase and President Trump deeper into crisis. Senator Mitch McConnell has a message for President Trump. Stop attacking your fellow Republicans because your presidency could depend upon them. Plus, two critical court hearings to decide whether key impeachment witnesses close to President Trump can keep their secret conversations secret. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We begin with the politics lead, a historic day on Capitol Hill with the first full vote in the House of Representatives related to the impeachment inquiry into President Trump. House Democrats voting to approve a resolution to formalize the impeachment inquiry process. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi today presiding as every Democrat who voted approved the measure, except for two, both from districts Trump won. Not a single Republican voted for the resolution, which lays out the process for public hearings, the release of deposition transcripts, and allows Republicans to call witnesses and issue subpoenas if the Democratic chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff, and Jerry Nadler of Judiciary go along with them. And if not, it does allow for full committee votes. The resolution also says that the House Intelligence Committee will ultimately write a report with its findings and recommendations regarding the potential impeachment of President Trump. CNN's Phil Mattingly kicks off our coverage now from Capitol Hill. On this vote, the yeas are 232, the nays are 196. With that drop of the gavel, the House entering a new phase of its impeachment inquiry, one exceedingly likely, I'd say, to end up with the impeachment of President Donald Trump. Democrats today holding the first official vote on the matter, a resolution to establish official procedures for that process. The vote almost entirely along party lines, with no Republicans supporting it and two Democrats voting against. Those two Democrats crossing the aisle from areas Trump handily won in the 2016 election. Today, the country just witnessed the only bipartisan vote on that floor was against. The vote determined how the House Intelligence Committee will hold public hearings moving forward and allows Republicans to request witnesses to be called. But it does not grant them subpoena power unless Democrats agree. Republicans today blasting their colleagues. Clearly there are people that we serve with that don't like the results of the 2016 election. Calling the inquiry a sham. When you look at this Soviet-style process, uh, it shows you that they don't really want to get to the truth They want to remove a sitting president. Despite calling for and now getting a full House vote to move forward with the inquiry, Republicans say Democrats have already compromised the process. This is a process that has been fundamentally tainted. The president has had no rights inside these hearings. They cannot go back and fix what is a fundamentally tainted and unfair record. And outside GOP groups immediately going on the attack, targeting Democrats who hold seats in districts won by Donald Trump in 2016. 
We take no joy in having to move down this road and proceed with the impeachment inquiry. But neither do we shrink from it. Democrats, many of whom were wary of impeachment before explosive allegations related to withholding money from Ukraine for political reasons, defending the inquiry as necessary to preserve and defend the Constitution. Right in the here and now, we are keeping the republic from a president who says Article 2 says I can do whatever I want. Not so. Jake, Democrats have been reluctant to put a timeline on how this is all going to play out going forward. One aide telling me every time we have a closed door deposition, we learn more and want to find out more. However, it's the expectation that there will be another week of closed door depositions. Then likely the public hearings will start. Then things will move over to the Judiciary Committee where they will draft articles of impeachment and consider them. One thing is certain, Democrats clearly on that path to impeachment, and it should happen in the coming weeks, Jake. All right, Phil Mattingly on Capitol Hill, thanks so much. Uh, Let's chew over all this. Anna, let me start with you. We have heard House Republicans expressing concern about what President Trump did. Not a lot, but some, including Adam Kinzinger, uh, uh, Mr. Feeney of Florida, but not one voted to proceed with the inquiry. Were you surprised? No, I wasn't. Look, I I think this was expected. And I think uh, Donald Trump has been incredibly effective in uh, instituting discipline within the Republican Party and in demanding absolute loyalty. Any speaking up against him, any voting against him would be considered an act of disloyalty to be punished by mean tweets and going after them in campaigns. We have a lot less Republicans than we did before in the House of Representatives, but they are far more loyal, blindly loyal, cultishly loyal to Donald Trump. Uh, and Mike, let me ask you, um, the, the Republicans have had, I think uh, even some Democrats would acknowledge a fairly effective communication message in terms of talking about how the process has not been transparent. It's been behind closed doors. We can debate those merits and we have. But beyond that, that's now over. These will be open hearings. The deposition transcripts will be released. Republicans will at least have an opportunity to try to subpoena witnesses. Um, what will the arguments from Republicans be more substantive about the actual case now, you think? I think so. I think that they've made a good case on process. And I love being on here with Paul because I worked for Newt Gingrich, as we talked about during the last <laughs> impeachment. And he worked uh-huh. for President Clinton and admirably did a great job uh, defending the president. You know, when that vote happened, Dick Ephart and Newt Gingrich voted to get, went together to create the rules for that. In fact, uh, Newt asked Jim Rogan, congressman from California, to look back on the Watergate uh, process and see what rights the Democrats gave to the minority and said, we're going to offer those to Gephardt. Gephardt accepted them, and we had a bipartisan vote. Nancy Pelosi said previously, we can't do this unless it's bipartisan. That's out the window. Those, the, Kevin McCarthy offered the same thing. What Newt had with Rogan and what Gephardt voted for was offered to Pelosi. She turned it down. So I think they will get into substance, but they're still going to talk about the fact that this is a very partisan process. They're going to keep talking about that the whole way through because the American people are, the, are actually the jury. And they're the ones who are going to look at this. And when you know it's partisan, it colors everything you hear after. And the trivia, of course, who beat Rogan in the House race? Adam Schiff. It all comes full circle. Uh, Jacqueline, (laughs) uh, this resolution, this resolution allows Republicans to subpoena witnesses. But Democrats really ultimately get the final sign off. Uh, They get the veto power, as it were. And then there can be they can Republicans can protest, bring it to a full committee vote. But there are more Democrats than Republicans on the committee. So it really isn't a fully bipartisan process in that way. No, Democrats are definitely in the driver's seat and they're strategizing as to how to not let Republicans derail this because that's what they're going, that, that's going to be part of the strategy here is to, to, I mean, you heard it on the floor today, talk about it as a sham, talk about how partisan it is. Uh, so that, that allows them to maintain um, 
some some semblance of control, even if, um, you know, they, they're they Republicans are trying to pull it in another direction. And, and speaking of that and derailing it, as you as you will have it, um, take a listen, uh, Paul, to uh, the ranking Republican on the House Judiciary Committee, Doug Collins, talking about a witness that he wants to call before the committee. I do have one thing for Mr. Schiff. If he wants to be, as said, a special counsel, he set himself up, then here's my challenge to Mr. Schiff. You want to be Ken Starr? Be Ken Starr. Come to the Judiciary Committee, be the first witness, and take every question asked of you. What do you make of that? First off, it's silly. He's a colleague. They can ask him any question anytime they want on the floor. Second, be careful what you wish for. Doug Collins, fine man. He ain't going to do very well in the Battle of Wits with Adam Schiff. I'm sorry. He's just not. Uh, this is the problem with their message. Anything Mike points it out. It's just tactical. Oh, we want an open process. Okay, now you're getting one. We want a formal vote on opening an inquiry. Okay, now you're getting one. We want the right to cross-examine. We want the president's lawyers to be in the room. You're getting that. You're getting that. You know what they're never saying? He's innocent. Well, some of them are. The president, not Mr. Collins is not. The president's own nominee for ambassador to Russia, his deputy secretary of state today, under oath, said, yes, it would be against our values to ask a foreign government to intervene in our elections. His own deputy secretary of state, the guy he's putting up to be ambassador to Russia, can't abide what this president is doing. Why? Because it isn't defensible. Uh, Mike, two Democrats voted against it, uh, both of them from Trump districts. Colin Peterson from Minnesota, which is a district that went two to one for Trump. Uh, the other one from southern Jersey, uh, Trump won that district by five points. Were you surprised that Democrats, that so few Democrats voted against it because there, a lot of them come from seats that Trump won and it's a risky vote. Yeah, I, I, I want to sort of mirror what Anna's answer was. No, I'm not surprised because of the discipline that AOC and that Nancy Pelosi have had to give into on the, AOC, on the left. AOC, listen to you. <laughs> well, where is this coming from? Nancy Pelosi didn't want to do this. Nancy Pelosi, I give a lot of credit to, during the 2018 election, she told her candidates, don't talk about impeachment. Suburban educated women think that's a bridge too far. They want to focus on health care. And her candidates listened. Now they're in office. And she won the House. And they won the House. Now they're in office. There's 29 members that are sitting in Trump districts or close to Trump districts. And she lost the fight. She tried to stop this from well, happening. No, the left wing got them to a place where they had to do it. And those people were made to walk the plank today, and they're going to suffer for it. I don't it. think it was the left wing. Listen, it's true that Nancy Pelosi didn't want to do this. And I actually think that gives her much more credibilities and gravitas on this issue. She didn't want to do this for political reasons. What dragged her there, kicking and screaming, were the facts. Were those testimonies of people like, um, like Vinland, like Sondland, like Hill, like the ambassador... All of these testimonies that have been corroborating what the whistleblower said. The facts have led her there. Jackie? I, I, I was about to say, I mean, that, that's what Nancy Pelosi has said. She, well, of course she's going to say it. Well, well right, but, 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 but you know, that, that, that is what got her there. Mueller didn't. Right. Mueller's testimony didn't. She resisted that. And then came this, the, the, the non-transfer. But, but we, can we all acknowledge that there has been massive pressure on the left, regardless before the facts, to impeach the president, and now they, they, they couldn't hold that tide back. PPP had a poll in February of 2017 where a majority of Democrats wanted to impeach the president the month after he was inaugurated into office. So let's uh, hold exactly. on. Exactly, and she didn't That's do right. it because hold she didn't do it for political reasons. Hold that thought. We're going, to keep, we're going to come back to you. With the momentous vote to formalize the impeachment inquiry, what is now the White House strategy now that they can no longer attack uh, the process with as much vigor. Then homes turned into ashes in a matter of minutes. High winds whipping up new wildfires in California as firefighters there struggle to gain ground. We're going to go there live. Stay with us. 
The politics lead now. President Trump facing a new reality now after today's first full House vote related to the impeachment inquiry. As the investigation escalates, so are his private phone calls to Republicans asking them for advice, expressing disbelief this is happening to him, according to sources. As CNN's Caitlin Collins reports, the president has also been confronted by Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell with a blunt message, stop attacking Senate Republicans. Insurance policy. It didn't take long for the White House to lash out Those favoring a vote by the after House Democrats took their first vote on the impeachment inquiry. In a court of law, you're innocent until proven guilty. Here, we're clearly guilty and have to prove our innocence. On a day with no public events on his schedule, President Trump deeming it the greatest witch hunt in American history. They just had a vote on the procedures. They gave us absolutely no rights. In an interview with Brexit leader Nigel Farage, the president insisted once again that his dealings with Ukraine were perfect. Would I use Ukraine to beat sleepy Joe Biden? After demanding a vote for weeks, the White House argument was undercut today. So what they're doing now is something that's never been done before. Uh, They don't want the facts to come out. But the press secretary says the rules are still unfair. You get treated better and get more due process when you get a traffic ticket. More than a month after Speaker Pelosi announced the inquiry, the White House is still working on a plan of action. They haven't hired any new communication staffers or attorneys to help out, leaving some aides wondering if they have a game plan. I don't want to get into any of our strategy just yet. Instead, the president has focused on shoring up Republican support, urging the party to stick together. I didn't have one negative Republican vote. Sources say it was the Senate majority leader who told the president to stop attacking his own party. Mitch McConnell telling Trump to lay off his criticisms of Senate Republicans, including a frequent critic, Mitt Romney, because the fate of his presidency could lie in their hands. As another key witness testifies on Capitol Hill, the White House is waiting and watching to see if the president's former national security advisor, John Bolton, will do the same. Obviously, uh, you know our position on a former White House officials' assistance to the president, particularly. Bolton left the White House on bad terms with the president, but his attorney says he won't appear without a subpoena. Now, Jake, the president didn't have anything on his public schedule today, but he did invite some Senate Republicans over here for lunch where they had chicken, talked about foreign policy, including the recent killing of Baghdadi, but also impeachment was brought up as well, with the president pointing out those two Democrats who voted against that resolution this morning, also encouraging those in the room to read the transcript of his call with the Ukrainian leader. But, Jake, it's not clear yet if the president is taking Mitch McConnell's advice to stop attacking some of those Senate Republicans who have been critical of him. All right, Caitlin Collins, uh, thanks so much. Uh, Is that good advice for Mitch McConnell, you think, Mike? Stop attacking Senate Republicans, even people like Mitt Romney, because you're going to need them? Uh, look, I think the president is, is, is a pugilist, and when people come after him, he's going he's gonna to lead the charge to characterize this the way that he, he wants to. I think the senators get it. They know where, how that is. They, they all know where they are in this. this is not, he's not going to be found guilty in the Senate once the House impeaches him. It's not going to happen. And it's not because he's a bully. It's because the voters don't want it to happen. The voters are the, the, the actual jury. They're the ones who called these senators and called these House members. They're going to hold the House members accountable. And their senators don't want to go home and explain why they well, voted to find someone guilty because a member of the NSC didn't like what he said on a phone the, call that we have the transcript The for. polling I've seen shows that overall, nationally, the public does support not only impeachment but removal from office. I know it's different in battleground states. It's, right. The numbers are flipped. But nationally... I don't think that's right. 
nationally, you're right that there is there. They, it has been trending more support for the inquiry, I believe. Definitely Not for the inquiry. Definitely but, for the inquiry. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think state by state that does matter because that's actually what senators who are um, in battleground states are going to be looking at. But I don't know if you're somewhere like Colorado. I. I, I I don't know how a Cory Gardner is going to make that decision if it starts leaning in that direction. Maine. 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 Susan Collins is going to be. Well, let me ask you. So one of the things that's going on here also is the Trump campaign and the Republican National Committee have a war chest of $300 million. Mm -hmm. Republican senators and House members are going to want some of that money to to get reelected. Conservative uh, uh, blogger um, named, uh, I don't know his actual name, but he goes by Allah Pundit. He on, on Twitter, he tweeted, when weighing whether Trump has received due process or not, remember to include the fact that he enjoys a right no criminal defendant in the U.S. has, the right to bribe his jurors. Now, he's being cheeky there, but the idea, you're Susan Collins, you're Cory Gardner, you're any Joni Ernst, anyone else, you want some of that $300 million and you not only want it, you need it. Absolutely. You need him. You also need him to show up to your uh, fundraisers for a primary. You need him not to attack you during primary season. Look, case in point, Lindsey Graham. When Lindsey Graham was taking on Trump, he was dead man walking in the Republican primary in South Carolina. Today that he is Trump's BFF, he is walking on water in the Republican primary in South Carolina. That is the difference that Trump can make for Republicans. And that is why there are much fewer Republicans, because some of them can't deal with it, can't stomach this it, is why I brought up, This is why I brought up AOC. Democrats don't want to have a Democratic primary challenge either. Adam Schiff is one of the number one fundraisers in the Democratic Party, and he's been fundraising on impeachment from back in Mueller and all the way through this, through emails to Look, people all across the country. we could be talking about Christmas fruitcake. And Democrats raise money. AOC the point is, from Al Pundit's you know, you wanna, comment, you know, Democrats about, raise money off of this, and they hold their people accountable, too, for the same thing. I, so I, I just Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez is, running, is uh, living rent-free in Mike's head. Well, let me just change AOC. the subject from, from AOC for one second, because you, you heard there, there's no... Um, no one leading a response team for communications in the White House. No new lawyers uh, looking at what's going on. Uh, you were with Clinton during the, his impeachment. Are they making a mistake? It just seems kind of malpractice uh, for the president's team not to say, look, we need a war room. This is serious. And it's not even just the process. It's the agenda. That would sustain Clinton. We, we knew what we were doing. We did. And, and it's completely different from this. That we, we were like Olympic swimmers in our lanes. They are like five-year-olds playing soccer. Everybody crowds around the ball and whatever the dear leader says. That's fine. And I, I have my problems, and I've, I've written about it. The most important thing that sustained Bill Clinton is that he had an agenda the country wanted. Now, fundamentally, the offense was a violation of his marital vows, not his oath of office. I think people view this with Mr. Trump. I know they do. Very, very different. Well, he suborned perjury and obstructed yeah. justice. But no, he did not. No, he did not. Anyway, and this president yeah. violated his oath of office, at least in the eyes of the majority of Americans. That's a completely different thing. But if he would come to us with an agenda, how many years are we into infrastructure week? Like all he cares about is his, himself and his own job and his own greed, and his own grievance. He needs to get out of his own self-interest. But I don't think he can because he's I think he's a toxic narcissist. The other thing with a, with a war room is you actually have to follow the strategy. And when you have the principal that kind of does what he wants, right. he's not going to follow any maybe for a little bit. But ultimately, if Trump wants to do something, he's going to do it. And he's not going to follow anyone's plans, no matter you know how uh, closely they're crafted. All right. So everyone stick around. We've got more to talk about. We have some breaking news. Another White House official who was on that July 25th call between President Trump and the Ukrainian president just finished testifying. What did he say? That's next. 
Breaking news, Tim Morrison, the top Russia expert in the White House National Security Council, just wrapped up testifying on Capitol Hill. According to multiple sources, Morrison confirmed other witnesses' accounts of a quid pro quo, the U.S. giving Ukraine security aid in exchange for an investigation publicly announced into the Bidens. Morrison said he worried there would be trouble if the rough transcript of that July phone call between President Trump and the president of Ukraine ever leaked. But... Morrison also stopped short of directly criticizing President Trump, saying he did not think that Trump did anything illegal. Morrison is the second White House official who was on the call to testify to House investigators. On the same day, the House also took the critical step of formalizing the impeachment inquiry. CNN's Manu Raju joins me now from Capitol Hill. And Manu, how important is Morrison's testimony to the inquiry? Well, significant because, as you mentioned, he was on that July phone call. He also played a key role as a Russia expert on the National Security Council. And he had a number of conversations with Bill Taylor, the U.S. top diplomat to Ukraine. Taylor referenced him throughout his own testimony in which Taylor raised serious concern that aid had been withheld by the president as the president was pushing for those investigations into his political rivals. Now, in the statement uh, that uh, section that we obtained from the statement today, it says in the preparation from my appearance, today, I reviewed the statement Ambassador Taylor provided this inquiry on October 22nd, 2019. I can confirm that the substance of the statement as it relates to conversations he and I had is accurate. Now, he goes on to say there are some differences, two small differences, one of which he says that he recalls a conversation he had with the EU Ambassador Gordon Sondland, which Sondland said it would be sufficient for President Trump to release security aid or sufficient to pursue investigations by Ukraine if that announcement for the investigations were made by the Ukrainian prosecutor, not President Zelensky, as Taylor testified last week. Now, that's a pretty minor difference, but confirms that Gordon Sondland, the EU ambassador, was raising the specter of these investigations, pushing that. Now, he also says in this testimony that he believes that that push for those investigations in exchange for releasing the aid that have been installed from Ukraine were done exclusively by Gordon Sondland. He does not necessarily seem to lay the blame on the president himself. He does, though, as you mentioned, Jake, raise concerns about the prospects of a leak of that phone call, that transcript from that July phone call, because we're told from multiple sources that he was concerned that it could undermine the U.S.-Ukrainian relations, could affect how the Ukrainians perceive what's happening in the U.S., and also come at a difficult time for a polarized environment here in Washington. So that was his concern, not necessarily the concerns about the call, Jay. So he was concerned that if the substance of the call got out, that it would be damaging for the president politically and it would hurt Ukraine. But he does not think that President Trump did anything illegal. Is that the basic idea? That that's absolutely right. According to his testimony, uh, he said very clearly did not think the president did anything illegal. He did did not raise concerns to the National Security Council lawyer as a separate White House official, Alexander Vindman, did, who was also on that call, who worried that it could undermine national security, which is why he reported it up the food chain. So you're seeing a discrepancy between two White House officials who both testified with this inquiry, one of which raised serious concerns about the call. Another one said he didn't have as many concerns. Right. But it's a discrepancy about their opinions about it, not necessarily about the facts of the matter. They seem to all square on that. Manu Raju, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Right now, a judge hearing arguments that could decide whether President Trump's former White House lawyer, Don McGahn, will be forced to testify. That story next. Welcome back. A lawyer for John Bolton, President Trump's ex-national security advisor and key impeachment witness, 
tell CNN that Bolton will not voluntarily testify. Democrats have said they may slap Bolton with a subpoena to compel his cooperation in the impeachment inquiry. This news comes as right now two courts are weighing whether close confidants of the president can be forced to offer testimony. And those rulings could have an impact on what Bolton ultimately does. CNN Justice Correspondent Jessica Schneider joins me now live from outside court. Jessica, the first case involves former White House counsel Don McGahn, who was subpoenaed earlier this year. What happened today? Well, Jake, a lengthy hearing to be sure. It is still happening, going on three hours now. This is showcasing a battle between House Democrats and the White House. House Democrats have been trying to get Don McGahn in for testimony for several months now. He's been defying a subpoena. They're trying to get him in for testimony about whether the president potentially obstructed justice in trying to stop the Russia probe here. But the White House has said Don McGahn, as a former former official, has absolute immunity. Now, the judge here has been listening to this argument over the past several hours, expressing actually great skepticism here, basically saying, look, I see formal, former officials on TV, cable news talking all the time. Why should it be any different from a, for a formal, uh, former official going before a House committee? Why should Don McGahn be able to defy this subpoena? So, uh, Jake, it's not clear when this hearing will wrap up or when this judge will rule. But obviously, the ruling could have some big effects and ripple effects for all of those former officials who are currently refusing to testify. And Jessica, uh, the other big court case is that of Charles Kupperman. He's uh, the former John Bolton deputy, deputy national security advisor. Uh, the two men share a lawyer. Kupperman refused to appear for a deposition in the House earlier this week. That's exactly right. And Kupperman's attorney filed a lawsuit on Friday, just days before Kupperman was supposed to appear. And his attorney basically wants clarification from the court, saying who should Kupperman listen to? Should he listen to these House Democrats and their subpoena? Or should he listen to the White House, who's claiming absolute immunity here? And the judge here, Richard Leon, is putting this on a very fast track because he knows that time is of the essence. And of course, it will be imperative on how he rules as to... uh, Uh, this witness, Charles Kupperman, because, of course, Chuck Cooper, the attorney here, also represents John Bolton. And with John Bolton's testimony being requested next week and Bolton subsequently saying he won't appear voluntarily, it's likely that his attorney, the same one representing Kupperman, will put forth these same arguments and refuse to appear as well. Jake? All right, Jessica Schneider outside the court. Thank you so much. Let's discuss with former federal prosecutor Shan Wu and Ross Garber, an impeachment attorney. Ross, let me start with you. If the judge rules that McGahn must testify, can he still refuse? Yes. What's likely to happen is this judge is a district judge. It's a trial judge. If this judge orders McGahn to testify, there's almost certainly going to be an appeal to the D.C. Circuit and a stay in place. And then whoever loses at that stage is likely to ask the Supreme Court to get involved. So while that's all playing out, it's very unlikely that we're going to see any testimony from Don McGahn. And ultimately, isn't there uh, a majority support on the U.S. Supreme Court, especially now with two Trump Supreme Court justices, for ver- a belief of very broad executive powers? Uh, is it, aren't they likely to lose, the, the people trying to force McGahn to, to, to testify? I, I, think it's, I think it's dangerous for folks to sort of game out the Supreme Court. Um, this is an argument that is... There, there is no binding authority on this argument about absolute immunity. It, is, you know, it sort of stems from the notion that Congress can't force the president of the United States to come and testify. And so they also can't then force his senior advisors to come testify. It's a position taken by presidents and 
departments of justice in both parties, but it's untested. And so we don't know what the Supreme Court's going to do with it. Well, and let me talk, let me ask you that about that, because I think there's the belief out there that executive privilege means that Congress can't force anybody who works in the White House right. to testify, whether it's Don McGahn, the former White House counsel, right. or Kupperman, the former deputy national security advisor. Is that wrong? Well, it, it's wrong in one sense, which is at the moment they're trying to first assert something even broader <clears throat> than executive privilege, which is this absolute immunity. have to disagree with Ross a little bit. There is some precedent, because in 2008, a district court judge, Bates, really soundly rejected the idea of there being this absolute immunity, specifically citing to the Nixon case, saying that Nixon provides the authority for piercing that. And also, I think, drawing the common sense conclusion that if you really go with this absolute immunity, it, in his words, eviscerates Congress's oversight ability. And, and Ross, what about the argument from the White House that this entire impeachment is illegitimate, it's all bogus, and they therefore don't have to cooperate? Will any court find that a reasonable argument? I, I think at some point down the line, you may actually see that play out in court. You think about sort of the McGahn situation. That subpoena was issued early this year. Yeah, before Ukraine. Yeah, it, Before Ukraine and before, certainly before today's House vote. So I think you're going to see an argument that even if under an extraordinary situation, an impeachment, the president's advisors could be forced to come and testify. Uh, that, that's not the condition under which McGahn was subpoenaed. So right. we, may, we may see that issue play out. Because McGahn was uh, subpoenaed under the Mueller report for you know, potential obstruction right. of justice. Thanks, yeah. Shannon Ross. Really appreciate it. Coming up, the new national Trump ad that even a former Obama campaign strategist is praising. Will it resonate with voters in key states? Stay with us. In our politics lead, quote, we're on offense. That's how the Trump campaign is now describing its 2020 strategy after running this ad during Game 7 of the World Series last night. The Democrats would rather focus on impeachment and phony investigations, ignoring the real issues. But that's not stopping Donald Trump. He's no Mr. Nice Guy, but sometimes it takes a Donald Trump to change Washington. Uh, Jackie, this was a, a na nationwide ad by very mm -hmm. expensive, multi-million, I think, a former Obama campaign manager, David Plouffe, praised the ad as quite strong and pointed out uh, that it's unprecedented for a presidential campaign to be running ads in October, the year before the election. Well, they have a massive war chest, and this is also a president who declared he was running for re-election on Inauguration Day, right? right. So it, they had, they've had some planning, uh, they had some time to plan all of this. Um, but it, it, was, it, was, it was actually, it was striking because we haven't really had a lot of political ads to be watching Game 7. And to see that pop up. And that message that um, David Paul was talking about is very simple. We're strong. We're getting things done. And, you know, I know, and, and, and addressing the fact that maybe sometimes you don't like my attitude, but I'm getting stuff done. Well, what well do you and this is also a president who just a few nights before, a president with a very thin skin who just a few nights before had gotten loudly booed by uh, so many in the national stadium, right? right. So, uh, you in, know. in Washington, D.C., which he should also make into an ad because why, a stadium full of people booing you from Washington is like the whole reason of his candidacy. Yeah, but you have to not be a narcissist <laughs> in order to uh, put out an ad of people but, booing you. And it wasn't just booing them. It was serving him a piece of karma. I think his his own voters medicine. said, will you please go to Washington and fill up stadiums full of D.C. people that get mad at you? Then you're doing my Including work Including all me. the Republican you're congressmen the who were the there in the, Look, in the by suites the way, I think hosting fundraisers. <laughs> to, the, to the point of that ad, I go back to this is why it's so fun to, to, to talk to Paul about this. Because a lot of the things he was saying about President Clinton, that's what that, that ad could have been a President Clinton ad for his impeachment. 
The economy's doing incredibly well. The president's focused on doing things like killing the leader of ISIS, and the Democrats are frittering away their majority. They have, they have issued more subpoenas than they've passed bills. And for the members of the House that have to carry this water, that is a really damning thing for them in Trump country. I just want to ask you a question about the, 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 what, you, what you just described. It's not an elephant in the room. It's the idea of, of President Trump acknowledging, or there's campaign at least acknowledging, maybe you don't like his style. The idea of he's no Mr. Nice Guy, but sometimes it take a, takes a Donald Trump to change Washington. What, what do you think of acknowledging that the president can be alienating in his own reelection? I think it's very smart. I think it's a really good ad. Uh, because it actually, I, like, I wouldn't make Mike sad about people booing him, because that's about him. For just a few seconds, we actually were pretending like the voters matter, like the economy matter, like jobs matter. For just a few blessed seconds, we weren't talking about the orange narcissist. Now they got to it quickly, but it's a much stronger message for him, honestly. Usually what he says is, I hate the other guy, and you hate them too. For a few seconds, for a whole lot of money, he said, the president's doing a good job. Now, I don't think he can sustain that. I don't think blah, blah, blah. But by the way, the Democrats need to answer what Mike was saying. The Democrats need to point out they have passed bills on, on uh, gun safety. They've passed bills on prescription drug costs. They've passed bills on gender equity and pay. More than 200, pay. I think, that the, the Senate hasn't picked up. And no one knows that. But they, and so the Democrats, excuse me, Mike, no way, I didn't interrupt you. The Democrats need I'm to do this. Well, the Democrats need to do this as well. If we get it back to ideas, who's better on the economy, who's better on prescription drugs, who's better on gun safety, that would be a really nice thing if once in a while politics was about people's lives instead of You're Mr. so Trump's. totally wrong. We absolutely need that Mike ad of a state full of people. <laughs> Booing our president? Lock him up. Lock <laughs> him up. Yeah. Go sell it. El- elite media, uh, lobbyists, uh, deep staters, political consultants like me in Washington, D.C. are all mad at the president of the United States. He must be doing what you want him to do out in the country because you also don't like Washington. Okay. Well, what's we don't he need doing? To talk, let's a- not talk about a fictional ad that was just yeah. creamed up at this table. It's, let's, I just I'm want to talk trying about- to write a script here. <laughs> for, for- what, do you think this is smart, the idea of like acknowledge he's not he's no Mr. Nice Guy. You, yeah. It's an acknowledgement. We get that sometimes you don't like what he does. Yeah, I do. I do think that's really smart. And I think that the other it's interesting. We're talking about no process. A lot of what's in that ad comes from data. I mean, th- there are swing voters in the swing states who are going to respond very well to that because that comes right out of focus groups and data that that what specifically can. just the economy jobs. Yeah, that, and that the Democrats are not focused on helping you. They're focused on just get him. And in the meantime, he's being strong and doing things that you want. That is a really good re-election message for him that he'll carry. Well, it's if, almost but, a table setter for the whole election. But if he is able to keep that That's message right. going, which is not guaranteed, during the last during 2018, he started talking about immigration the entire time, and you know lost the suburbs. All right, that's all the time it, we have. Isn't that acknowledging that Donald Trump is not a nice guy like me? Acknowledging that I'm a woman and a Hispanic. I mean, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> doesn't thanks. take rocket science. <laughs> thanks, one and all. Nothing left but just a pile of wreckage and ashes. We have uh, these uh, images of these new destructive fires that have just broken out in California. Some homeowners are getting their first look at just how bad the damage is. We're going to go live there. Stay with us. In our national lead, new fires erupting in California this morning. Residents in San Bernardino waking up to evacuation orders as flames engulfed several homes. The Hillside Fire, one of two new destructive wildfires spreading in California today. High winds across the state are expected to stoke the flames even more and potentially cause more fires to break out. CNN's Bill Weir joins me now live from California. And Bill, is there any sign that these fires are going to let up soon? 
Well, we're getting a blessed break right now, uh, Jake. The, the winds, those fierce 40-mile-an-hour sustained have died down a bit. Bluebird skies out again, giving the firefighters a little bit of a break, but not too much because they want to knock them down while they can before the winds come back. And it doesn't really take a forensic expert to, to see what happens here. Uh, we're in the Inland Empire in the hills above San Bernardino. Those are the scorch marks of last night's firestorm. And, you know, you pick the price of paradise uh, these days. If you live in Florida and a hurricane is coming, at least you get a few days' notice. But in Southern California, these tragedies, they come like a bump in the night, right? So maybe this family got knocked out of bed uh, uh, just before dawn to evacuate. And by the end of the day, this is all that's left. One of six homes in this community destroyed. And given the strength of those winds, that's that's actually pretty a, a blessedly low number. And this is what folks are worried about. Even if uh, an ember from here were to cast a mile away, it could start this whole thing all over again. And Bill, Californians, I know, say that it, it sure seems that fire seasons are, are getting much worse. Is there any proof of that? Absolutely. Uh, I'll date myself. I graduated from college uh, in Southern California in 1990. And back then, an evacuation was maybe a once-in-a-lifetime event. Now it's becoming uh, more annual. And it's staggering to realize that, that seven of the ten most destructive fires in the history of California have happened in the last four years. Cal Fire used to prepare for wind events the last four days. Now it's 14 days. Temperatures of these fires used to max out at 1,700 degrees Fahrenheit. Now it's 2,100, which is hot enough to turn sand into glass. And so much of this is because people are moving in to these wildfire areas. This urban wilderness interface is proving to be so risky as, uh, in, as we enter this age of climate crisis, Jake. All right, Bill Weir, thank you so much. Stay safe, my friend. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Jake Tapper. You can tweet the show at The Lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. See you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.